This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Good afternoon, neighbor. We thank God for the privilege of coming together for worship. God has been faithful. Amen. Our very presence here is a clear indication of God's faithfulness. As you see there, beginning next Sabbath, October 14th through to the 21st, we'll be having our Jesus at the Center series, and we'll be focusing on Jesus at the Center of our families, and I'm excited that we'll be having as our speaker for the series, Pastor Lloyd Allen. God has gifted him and blessed him, prepared him for this. He currently uh, serves and works as a family and uh, marriage and family therapist. He has his own practice, and he has consented to come by here and to share with us for beginning next week. So we'll be running uh, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll end on the 21st. And for those of us who've been blessed to hear him and his presentations, we can attest that God has equipped him to share these subjects in a very witty way, in a way that resonates I know that you'll be blessed. So I'd like to encourage you to come on out, uh, bring your friends with you, bring your family with you as we seek to place Jesus at the center of our families. Some of you know that we have designated, we started this year, we have designated the first Sabbath of each month as Connection Sabbath. As we're seeking to encourage authentic and genuine relationships in our congregation. We know that people can get lost in a crowd. How many persons here have ever felt lonely in a crowd? That you can be in a crowd but be lonely. And so we appreciate as leaders, as the church expands, as the church grows, that it is important for us to create opportunities for folks to connect in meaningful relationships. We believe that God has placed us to grow together. Amen? We believe that we are better together. Amen? And so Connection Sabbath provides us with that opportunity to, to, to emphasize this as a very important aspect of our church. We believe it is biblical. And we thank God that a few weeks ago, we, we added to our pastoral staff, uh, Pastor Kevin Acosta, who God has gifted and, and God has blessed in this area, and he'll be taking the lead. I just had some conversations with him, and I'm excited as to what God is going to do as we seek to extend our connections beyond the worship time together. Amen? Amen? 
As we continue in worship for the study of God's words, and by the way, you get an opportunity after this. We do have in the fellowship hall, for those this may be new, we have in the fellowship hall, you can meet with us, we can share with you the vision and, and see how you can fit in into the existing existing life groups that we have, or perhaps you are interested in starting a life group yourself. As I mentioned, Pastor Kev will be leading us down that path. He has uh, some, some work to do in, in setting certain things in place. As we continue worship with a study of the Word of God, I'd like to turn your attention to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, and the verse is verse 4. Jeremiah 7, verse 4, the new King James Version's rendition of Scripture reads, Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. This is the Word of God, and I believe it. Our subject, the temple, the temple, the temple. The temple, the temple, the temple. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for the clear evidences of your presence in the service thus far. And as we continue now with a study of your word, may you arrest our attention, remove every distraction, speak to our hearts and our heads. Use me in spite of me, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now neighbor, to say that the temple in Jerusalem, particularly the one that is referenced in this text, you know, the one that King Solomon built and declared and dedicated rather according to 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 8, to say that this temple was the pride and joy of every Jew would be a gross understatement. It was a magnificent architectural feat that surpassed the great craft that was put into the movable, portable wilderness tabernacle. And this temple of Solomon, it marked a new point in the nation's history, in Israel's history. This illustrious edifice was not only neighbor a source of national pride and architectural prowess, but it was a symbol of God's divine presence. It was the house of God. It was the place where his people would convocate and communicate with him. It was a place of worship. 
All the rituals and ceremonies that were observed and performed were meant, on, were meant not only to remind them of God's past dealings in their lives, but these rituals and ceremonies were to remind them of the Messiah who would come. These rituals and these ceremonies, they were types and shadows that pointed to Messiah. Messiah who was the antitype. Messiah who was the reality of the shadows. But make no mistake about it, neighbor, God's ultimate goal with all the ceremonies and rituals, God's ultimate goal was to dwell among his people. Amidst everything that they did, every ceremony, every ritual that was performed in this place, God's goal was to dwell with his people. He told Moses when, just before they constructed the portable sanctuary, that he should do so, so that he would dwell among his people. As we look at our text today, let me declare from the onset neighbor that Performing religious rites and ceremonies is no substitute for a personal relationship with God and being faithful to his will and way. Let me repeat that. That performing religious rites and ceremonies is no substitute for a personal relationship with God and being faithful to his will and way. Our text, Jeremiah 7, 4. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these, or a better rendition, the temple of the Lord is here. Now, now at first blush, two elements, how many did I say? Two elements stand out in this verse, deception and repetition. Deception and repetition. Deception, lying words. Repetition, the temple, the temple, the temple. Do you see it? Deception, lying words, and repetition, the temple, the temple, the temple. Someone has said that repetition deepens impression. That repetition deepens re impression. And there is research, neighbor, that shows that if something is said often enough, and that even though there may be evidence to support that what, or even though there may not be evidence to support what is said, the fact that it is repeated will make it believable to some. Let me say it again. That if something is said often enough, and even though there may not be any evidence to support what is said, the fact that it is repeated will make it believable to some. Let me put it where you can touch it. You see, if I, for the next 30 minutes, repeat that my sneakers are blue, my sneakers are blue, my sneakers are blue, somebody is going to leave the service saying, Pastor was wearing blue sneakers. Hello. 
Because if you repeat some things, over time, there's some folks, by virtue of repeating it, they will take it as gospel. Now, back to our text. Two elements, deception and repetition. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Let's zoom out a bit further and appreciate that the prophet Jeremiah's ministry spanned what is called the pre-exilic period of Israel's history. That is, Jeremiah ministered at a time just before Israel went into Babylonian captivity, Babylonian exile. It was a rough time to be a true prophet of God. This was no time when people were signing up to be prophets. It was a rough time. And neighbor, one of the inferences that we find in our focus verse is that there were other prophets who were sharing messages that were counter to what God had given Jeremiah to share. Jeremiah was sharing with God's people that doom was coming because of their disobedience. While these other prophets were saying, it's peace and safety. Don't listen to Jeremiah. He's just jaded. He's just lost his mind. So there are others as one of the inferences in this verse who are lying, yea, deceiving the people. Now, for us to fully appreciate this singular verse, let's back up a bit and begin at verse 1 as we try to get some more context here. In verse 1, the Bible says, the word that came to Jeremiah, notice, from the Lord, from whom? From whom? From the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there his word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship, to what? To what? Notice, to what? To worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place and then we have our focus verse do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord are these it's important to note that Jeremiah made it clear that the word came to him from whom? From the Lord. From whom? From whom? From the Lord. He was careful to note that God was the source of the message, which means that the message was not only credible, but that the message was to be obeyed. God was the source, meaning that it was credible, but also meaning that the message was to be obeyed, meaning that they would be accountable to God for how they responded to the message. Jeremiah was saying, if you have a problem with the message, don't argue with me, take it up with God. 
here in verse 2. I imagine the prophet in my holy imagination standing in the parking lot of the church as folks are making their way to the building for worship. He's standing there and he's bellowing out, thus saith the Lord, amend your ways and your doings. Amend your ways and your doings. Amend your ways. That is, fix your way of being. Amend your ways. That is, fix your inward inclinations. Amend your ways. That is, fix your settled habits. Amend your doings. That is, fix your way of living. Amend your doings. That is, fix your deeds that make up these customary habits. And I will cause you, God says, to dwell, or better stated, better interpreted, I'll cause you to continue to dwell in this place. And then, don't miss this, in verses 5 and 6, God specifies what they needed to amend, yea, what they needed to fix. Look at verses 5 and 6. God says, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly, watch this, execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to hurt, to your hurt, God was very specific as to what needed fixing, yea, what needed amending. If they wished, God says, to remain in the land, then their cheating, lying lifestyle would have to change. And don't miss it, neighbor. Here God specifies, yea, he points to issues of justice and fair play. Amend your ways. First, they must cease to oppress the stranger. The stranger. God's kingdom is meant to be a haven for the orphaned, the widow, and the stranger. A place where his bounty would be discovered. Instead, what was happening was they were being plundered and exploited. God's kingdom would, must be a place, a haven for those who are less fortunate. Those who are disadvantaged. The stranger. The alien. You know, the undocumented person? Hello? God's kingdom must be the haven for those persons. Instead, they were taken at taking advantage of the disadvantage. Listen, neighbor, God will note how we treat those who are disadvantaged. Hello? God will hold us accountable for how we deal with those who are our subordinates. Second, 
God said that they must stop the stealing and murdering and the adultering, and that these sins they were doing, they were sinning against their own humanity. There are those of you who are conversant with the commandments as cataloged in Exodus chapter 20, those 10. And there are those of you who appreciate that the first four have to do with our relationship with God, while the other six have to do with our relationship with each other. That the Ten Commandments have both a vertical and a horizontal application. Simply put, the way we treat others is a reflection of our relationship with God. Hello? Put another way, put the way the Apostle John puts it. He says, I cannot say that I hate my, that I love God who I cannot see, but, but then I hate my brother who I can see. If I, if I say I love God who I cannot see, then I must love my brother who I can see. If my vertical relationship is right, then my horizontal relationship will be right. God wants me to be in right relationship with him and to be in right relationship with my neighbor. And finally, God says that to amend their ways, to amend their, to fix their ways, they must stop walking after other gods. Now, what I find amazing that at this point of the nation's history, they had, they, had, they had removed all the false gods of, of Baal and Asherah. They had removed them and their symbols out of the temple. They were nowhere to be seen. The problem was that they had removed them out of the temple, but they had not removed them out of their hearts. And here is a lyric, a tune that your parents used to dance to. You see, your body may be here with me, but your mind may be on the other side of town. Because it's not about where your body is, it's about where your mind, as the kids would say, at. It is not where your body is, it's where your head is. It is not where your body is, it's where your heart is, it's where your affections are. And so they had removed the idols from out of the temple, but those idols were very much in their hearts. They must stop trusting in lies. You see, here's what God was saying. After participating in the week in all these scandals and, and living life that goes against, that went against God's will, they were coming to him, coming before him in his house and saying, according to verse 10 of the, of the said chapter, they were saying, hey, we are delivered by God, we've been rescued by God, we've been kept safe by God to do all these abominations. In other words, it doesn't matter what we do, God's got our back. 
Why, don't you know that we are children of Abraham? Don't you know that we're, we're heirs according to the promise? Don't you know that we are covenant people? Don't you see that the temple of God is with us? Therefore, no harm will befall us. Listen, neighbor. God's salvation is designed to deliver us from sin, not to deliver us for sin. Let me put it where you can touch it. Grace is not given to us so that we can live a life of disgrace. God was saying that they cannot deliberately continue to sin and expect to come before him and, and perform all the rituals and all the ceremonies and believe in, in simply doing those things, well, God will give them a pass. More importantly, what is God saying to you and me in 2023? You see, for Judah, the temple was a visible reminder of God's presence and protective power. The problem was that the people of Judah had placed their trust in the temple rather than in God. Hello. And they could not believe that there was any real danger. You can read there in Micah chapter 3 verse 11. After all, they argued that God had made a covenant with Abraham. God had given him and his descendants the land in perpetuity. The problem that God is seeking to address in verse 4 of our chapter is this, that the people of Judah, they were viewing the temple as some sort of talisman or a good luck charm that could ward off any attack. But God was saying that he valued obedience over buildings. Let me say it again. God was saying that he valued obedience over buildings. God was saying that he valued right relationships over ceremonies. And I want to end up where I started. That performing religious rites and ceremonies is no substitute for a personal relationship with God and being faithful to his will and way. Let me come and sit right next to you. There's some folks, they get hung up on the fact that, oh, we, we've got good programs and, 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 and we, we've got everything running nicely and nice liturgy. Some folks are hang on to the programs. And they believe that just because they've got nice programs and everything is flowing, then that's some substitute for a personal relationship with God. Some folks believe that because they know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and they can quote Scripture verbatim and that they can explain all the prophecies and have the gift of all knowledge, that that somehow is a substitute for a relationship with God. 
There's some folks who believe that because they return a hefty tithe and a liberal offering, that that somehow is a substitute for a relationship with God. God is saying there is no substitute. God is saying you can't be bad-mouthing your neighbor on Friday and come to church on Sabbath lifting holy hands and praising him. God is saying you can't be behaving badly with a checkout salesperson at Walmart on Thursday and come to church on Sabbath lifting up holy hands. God is saying you can't underpay your worker on Friday and, and stiff him on Wednesday and, and come to church on Sabbath lifting up holy hands to praise him. God is saying you can't be fighting with your wife in the parking lot and come to church on divine service and pray. God is saying you've got to fix that first. There is no substitute for our relationship. When I said I, I do to one of the most beautiful creatures in the world 27 years ago, I told her, listen, girl, let me make something straight. Whatever happens, we're going to bed in peace on Friday. We're going to peace the bed in peace on Friday. Because your husband got to get up and go in the pulpit on Sabbath. And I'm not going to preach on the pulpit with my wife looking all messed up and vexed with me in the audience. My wife must be sitting in the, in the audience saying, yeah, that's my man. Preach it, boy. Because being in right relationship is no substitute. Nothing that I do is a substitute for being in a right relationship with God and others. Today, God is saying to you and I, do not trust in buildings. I do not value buildings, I value people. God is saying, do not trust in programs. I don't, I don't value programs. I value people. God is saying, don't trust in the stuff that you have and the fact that, that you know the word and, and you know the prophecies. And don't trust in the knowledge of Scripture that you have. No, no, no. I value people. God values people. As I'm, as I'm closing, I'm excited to know when I, since I got to this church, that I've discovered others, those with a kindred spirit, those who say, Pastor, what we value we value real relationships. Not the happy Sabbath, how you doing? Not the um, pretty fine. 
not the um, highly blessed and flavored response, but real responses. And we're seeking to provide an atmosphere, a context where, where folks can find true relationships. I remember Kirk years ago, 30 plus years ago when I was leaving school, I, an older pastor said to me, Rose, every pastor needs a priest. I said, a priest? I'm an Adventist pastor. What do I need a priest for? He says, you, you'll learn, you'll understand. He said, what I, what I mean is every pastor needs a person to whom they can be vulnerable. And let me extend this and say, every believer of God needs someone to whom you can be vulnerable. Someone that you can share openly with and watch this, and know that as a filler sojourner, that that person is not going to judge you. And that's what we're seeking to do. That's what we're seeking to do. With our life groups, we're seeking to provide that, that atmosphere. We're seeking to provide that context where, where you can find real authentic connections. We don't all start at the same place. But by God's grace, we'll end up at the same place because God wants to be with us. All our services and of everything that we do, we must understand that God's ultimate goal is to dwell with us in all the activity and all the programming it must never be lost on us that what is about is god wants to be in relationship with us it's still amazing when I consider how messed up I am, but God still loves me. God still loves me. Don't need to pretend. Don't need to act as if I have achieved. God still loves me. He asked me one thing. He asked me, Noel, I just want you to be real with me. Just be real. I want to be real with him. How about you? Remain real with him. You know, you know, Pastor, how do we do it? You know, one of the occupational hazards of, of us, with us as pastors, is we can get so involved in 
the church work and the work for God and, 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 and we try to gain a certain degree of proficiency in, in getting certain things done that, that we, can, we, can, we can lose sight of, of having that meaningful connection with Him. How do we do it? Well, you, you, you dare not start a day without God. You dare not start a day without God. Listen, listen, I said it in the second service, I'll say it here. There's some folks that you're going to encounter in your day. There's some folks that you work with that is only God who can help you to deal with them. No amount of training, no amount of resource, it doesn't matter your position. There's some folks on your job, before you encounter them, you've got to have a prayer on your lips. You got to start every day with him. You got to guard that. If it means you got you to wake up extra early, you've got to guard that. Secondly, you need, you, need, you need someone to hold you accountable. If you're going to grow spiritually, you need someone who will hold you, not someone who will judge you. Hello? But, but a fellow sojourner who, who says, I am going to be in it with you. I'll be cheering you on. Ah, I will rebuke you when you need rebuking and chase you when you need chastening. But I'm going to be in it with you. You need someone. You need someone. And third, you've got to rediscover. Perhaps if, the, if you've not yet discovered it, you've got to discover it. But if you have, you've got to rediscover every day. You've got to rediscover what is God's purpose for your life. You see, the purpose he had for you last year may not be the purpose this year. You may, in a different, you may be in a different season of your life, a different phase of your life. You've got to ask God, what is your purpose for me today? You've heard it. I believe it. It rings true. There, 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 there are two important times, uh, 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 Dr. Allen, there are two important times in the life of a person. Two important times. When that person is born and when that person discovers why they were born. When the person is born and when they discover their purpose or why they were born. Three things, three things. Number one, number one, start every day with God. Number two, number two, ensure, ensure, pray about it. Ask God to lead you to someone. It may be your husband. It may be your wife. It may be a child, whomever it is. Ask God to lead you to someone who will help to hold you accountable spiritually. And third, every day you wake up, ask him, God, what is my purpose? What's my purpose today? What's my purpose today? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's some folks in your neighborhood. There's some folks that you're going to encounter on the highway driving. You will, the only way you're not going to act out of character is if Jesus is in the driving seat with you. I want my declaration and the way I live to be in alignment. I heard a story 
the man who was pulled over by the, by the cop. The cop pulled him over and the cop was wondering if the vehicle belonged to him. The way he was driving and seemed to be responding to other drivers in certain gestures. The cop pulled him over. And after the man had made it clear, he had authenticated that indeed this was his vehicle, the cop said, I'm sorry, sir. I, you know, I, I was just wandering there for a while because I, I noticed you have a Jesus fish on your bumper and, and I see all these Christian writings on your bumper, but the way you were acting was not in alignment with all the messages you have on your bumper. It's one thing to make a declaration. It's another thing for our lives to be in, in, in harmony with that declaration. I want God to help me to walk my talk. I want God to help me to walk my talk. How about you? Stand with me to your feet. The praise team is going to sing. And then I'll come and close in our benediction. Before we try and go out and connect with each other, have a true connection with our Lord and Savior. Daily, if you walk out of here unchanged, what was it all for? I'm just encouraging you guys to spend quality time with God today and quality time with each other, with God in the middle. And I'm inviting you to sing this song with us that reminds us how jealousy is for our attention and what he wants for our lives. Oh, no. 
just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. John says we love him because he first loved us I don't know where you are in your journey but God has sent me here to tell you that he loves you he loves you he loves you perhaps you wandered away from him perhaps you're that stage of your life where you're doubting we'd like to pray for you and with you if you just raise your hand where you are God sees your hand he sees your hand he sees your hand more importantly he sees your heart in prayer father we thank you for your word You're so desirous of having a relationship with, with us. It's clear that you, you made us for community. You made us to, to have fellowship with you. As we studied this past week in our adult lesson, that sin sought to interrupt the relationship, but you sent Jesus to restore and to reconcile us to yourself.
pray for those hands that were raised. You know them. You know their situation. May you, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, continue to speak to their heart. As the greatest lover, may you continue to woo them to you so that they can experience the joy of a surrendered life. Well, Lord, we ask that you forgive us for those times when we have been so inconsistent in our walk. Forgive us of those times when we have clothed ourselves with religiosity and, and relig religious duty and have used these as a substitute for a relationship with you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. We leave this place, but never from your presence. Rest, remain, and abide with us. We ask that you will not only love us, but that you will love through us. As we spend the next few hours in fellowship and connecting in our various groups, help us, Lord, to find that person, that group where we can be vulnerable, where we can be true so that you can grow us. Help us, Lord, to, to rediscover your purpose, your will for our lives. We leave here knowing, not believing, not guessing, knowing that you love us. We thank you for this reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seven-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.